So good. 
Well, you maybe drove yourself here today or came with a family member or friend, but God brought you here today. So it's really important to, to stop and, and, and let that sink in. God brought you here today. You might have come under duress. <laughs> you might have uh, been so excited to get here. In any case, uh, he's in the house, and we're in the house with him, and he wants to say something to us. And I have a feeling it's going to be that, that uh, when we leave here today, we'll be able to say what uh, Kalina sang so beautifully, I will trust in you. If you don't get anything out of this whole service, uh, it's this, that God wants you to trust in him. Our theme in this series is about living a virtuous life. Our focus today particularly is on patience, but ultimately what it boils down to is, Lord, I will trust in you. And in these times in which we're living, that's a big, tall order uh, to be able to say that. So let me start off by praying for us that that would be how God would move in us and how we'd be receptive to his moving in us. Lord Jesus, we thank you that we're here. We believe that you brought us here, however we got here. And now that we're here, you said that we're people gathered together in your name, you're among them. And I know uh, through your word, uh, you're speaking to us through the scriptures read and spoken through the songs sung through the prayers prayed. And our prayer, Lord, is that you teach us what it means to trust you, uh, that we could say, I trust in you. So we, we pray this in your holy name. Amen. Well, this past week, a friend of mine who has been vaccinated, and by the way, if, if it's possible for you without any pre-existing issues in your life to be vaccinated, I hope you all get vaccinated. And... Uh, I hope you all are able to avoid getting COVID. My friend, uh, we were on a call together, and he said, man, I'm not really feeling good, and I found out why. I'm vaccinated, but I had a COVID test. It came back positive, and so he was mildly sick, thankfully, uh, for about a week. Oh, and after saying, I'm so sorry to hear that, and praying for him and, and checking in with him, uh, I got to thinking about it. Uh, and when I think I get a headache, I don't know about you, but um, I, sometimes I overthink things. But I, I thought, what if we could all take a patience test? Would it come back positive? Or would we say, oh, talking to a spouse, a, a child, a friend, oh, man, you know, uh, I've been feeling really funky. I, took, I got a patience test. And if they immediately finished the sentence and said, oh, it came back negative, right? You go, what? You know, what do you mean negative? Um, well, how did it go? Maybe they're a bit more tentative. You know, they're more diplomatic. Well, how did it go? Came back positive. Really? <laughs> Was that a false positive? <laughs> no. Uh, they, had a, they did it twice because they had the same reaction you did. I would like to think that if I had a patient's test, it would come back uh, positive. How about you? Uh, these words from King David, though, uh, I'm going to read them. You'll see them on the screen pretty much uh, sum up often how I come to God. Uh, this is out of Psalm 13, 1 to 2. How long, Lord? I don't know what tone he used. It was a pleading. Uh, how long, Lord? Or was it demanding? How long, Lord? Will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? A bit of a what's going on here? How long must I wrestle with my thoughts? And day after day have sorrow in my heart. Maybe that describes your condition as you come into worship today. How long will my enemy triumph over me? Uh, do you have a perceived enemy right now in your life? Is it COVID? Is it that awful person you work with or work for or have to supervise at work? Is this somebody in your neighborhood? Is this, who is it? Is it a thing? Is it a person? Um, but do you, ever, do you ever ask God those kinds of questions? Questions like, well, why is this taking so long? Uh, why am I going through this? Lord, where are you? You don't have to answer it, but I'm guessing you've asked those questions. Who hasn't? All of us come to the end of our patience. Uh, the world as it is, isn't the world as it should be. Can we all agree on that? The world as it is, isn't the world as it should be. Now here's David doing God's will doing some amazing and heroic things, things that we still remember and celebrate, things we still read. He still uses as an example, a role model. Uh, and yet he got to those places where he said, I'm done. And this, is, this is too much. And I need help, and I, I don't see where it's coming from. And I don't, I don't like doing this. One more minute. The world isn't what it should be, but God is restoring the real world. 
Now you might think, well, this is the real world. I have had people say to me, well, as a pastor, you don't live in the real world. And I'm thinking, well, uh, let's maybe reflect on that together. Maybe as a pastor, I see more of the real world in one day than you see in a week or a month or a year. When I think about the real conversations I've been in with people, when they're saying, why did my 17-year-old take his life? Uh, I'm thinking, wow. Uh, why does my wife not want to have anything to do with me? Why is my husband leaving me? Why can't I get a job? Uh, why isn't God answering my prayers? Uh, why is the world in the situation it's in? Uh, wow. That's the real world. The real world we live in, but it's not the real world. This is the catch. The hubris, the human arrogance embedded in that question is, this is the real world. And with all due respect, the word of God and the people of God say, no, no, it's not. It feels pretty real. It causes David and us to make these laments to God. But this is not the real world. This is the world we live in. This is the world as it is. It's not the world as it was created. It's not the world as it should be. So meanwhile, we don't all live in la-la land. We simply say, Lord, bring the real world back. And that's what God is doing in Christ. He's restoring the real world. You, you don't, don't have to nod your head or anything, because you might be here saying, oh, like, I'm an atheist and I'm agnostic. I just came for brunch after the meeting. But do you believe this? In your heart of hearts, even if you're not sure where you are with Christ, do you believe, yeah, why am I yearning for something that isn't there? What is that assumption on my part that thinks that relationship should have worked out? That job, job should have been what it was represented to be. That, that person I voted for should be doing the things they promised to do. That person who I paid money to serve me is not doing the things I paid them to do. Right? So I've met so many great interviewers in my life. Brilliant interviewers. And interviewees. They're trying to sell you something or they're trying to get you to buy something. And at some point you go, that's not what we agreed on. And what is it about me and about you that isn't just demanding perfection, but we're, we're, we're hoping for, we're yearning for, the world as somehow inside of us we think it ought to be. And when we get those glimpses of it, especially when we're younger, when we get those glimpses of what the world is and what it could be, it moves us deeply, right? Sometimes it moves us to tears. And as we get older, as we realize, looking back, wow, that was really good. Why did I, why did I not pay more attention? We're moved deeply. Do you, do you resonate with this at all? Because this is what it means to be alive and in touch with what we're feeling and what we're experiencing in life. And again, this is not a retreat from life, a substitute for the real world. This is the real world that we're created for, and it's the real world that God is restoring. And ultimately, when Christ returns in glory, heaven will come down. There will be a new heaven and earth right here. That's a big other conversation. We don't go to heaven. Heaven comes to us. But it'll be way different than it is now. But this restoration process that God is involved in is about really living in the real world and focusing on his kingdom. Every time I meet somebody who cares about justice or injustice, I'm, I'm really talking to somebody, whatever they say they believe or don't believe about Jesus, I know that they're really yearning for the kingdom of God. When anybody is looking for restoration in a relationship, when anybody is looking for a right path, I know what they're really looking for, and they, they're, they're not articulating it. Maybe they've already written it off. What they want most of all is the kingdom of God. Why they want what God alone can provide. Really living in the real world means focusing on the kingdom of God. That's what we do every week. Now, why would you get up early and, and come to church? This is like a giant Young Life Club, basically. It's like a big Sunday school class. It's a place where we come to think God's thoughts after him. We, we, we do that in the context of worship. But what we're here for is not to hear somebody entertain us uh, or inspire us. We're, we're trying to connect with the God who says, there's more for you. There's more for you. Are you open to it? So the writer of Hebrews, uh, this is in chapter 10, says, patient endurance is what you need now. Patient endurance is what you need now. Are those slides going up? Yeah, thanks. So that you will continue to do God's will. What does it mean to do God's will? It means just be who you are in him. It's not a guessing game. Is this your will or is that your will? It's simply being you in Christ. Being you in Christ is doing God's will. 
because he reveals how to navigate the world to you as you listen to him, trust in him, read his word, fellowship with his people, seek wise counsel, apply the things you're learning about him. All of a sudden that constitutes God's will. It's not a guessing game. And if you miss one little piece of it, ah, the whole thing is shot. Patient endurance is what you need now so that you'll continue to do God's will. Then you will receive all that he has promised. He has promised something that he will deliver on. In fact, James says it this way in James chapter 5. Be patient then, brothers and sisters, uh, until the Lord's coming. That word brothers is actually brothers and sisters, uh, Adelphoi. See how the farmer waits for the, the land to yield its valuable crop. And how patient he or she is for the autumn and spring rains. You too, be patient and stand firm. Because the Lord's coming is near. Don't grumble against each other, brothers and sisters, or you'll be judged. You're wasting your time. It's a, it's a vain effort. You're expecting perfection of people, and people can't provide perfection. The judge is standing at the door. Brothers and sisters, as an example of patience in the face of suffering. Why in the face of suffering? Because anything that causes us to lose patience is, a, is, a, is an experience of suffering. I'm waiting for the bus. Will it ever come? Everybody I've ever met has one story about when their mom or dad was late to pick them up. Ten billion times mom was never late. Dad always picked them up. And the one time the kid goes, remember that time you left me at the the mall? Now the patient parent doesn't say, hey, remember that time you ditched me at the mall? And I looked around and you were gone. And uh, I, I, I wasted all my time at the mall looking for you. Remember that? Uh... The judge is standing at the door. Brothers and sisters, as an example of patience in the face of suffering, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. As you know, we consider blessed those who have persevered. Why was it hard being a prophet? You had to tell people some really hard news. Uh, Israel, it's not going well for you, and it's your fault. But I got good news. You're going into captivity. If that's the good news, what's the bad news? Uh, You'll be coming out of captivity if you pay attention to God. If you learn some things there, he'll bring you back. Hard to be a prophet. He goes on to say, you've heard of Job's perseverance and have seen what the Lord finally brought about. Ultimately, God brought it together. The Lord is full of compassion and mercy. This is what God does. He does justice, righteousness, compassion, and mercy. In both of these passages, I've used the word patience In different forms, endurance, perseverance, it's all the same words. One word in Hebrew, two words in Greek, patience. So the first big idea of the morning is this. Patience is a spiritual character quality equipping us to cope with life as it is. It's a fruit of the Spirit. It's a result of being in Christ. Now you might say, well, I know people who who don't believe in Christ who are patient. Yeah, but where did they get the idea? Where did they get the impulse? Why do they intuitively know that somehow patience is better than impatience? God built it into us. And it's developed as a fruit of having roots in him. So it's not outrageous uh, to claim that patience is a spiritual character quality. It's given to us by the Lord. It's embedded in us spiritually, whether we activate that or not. And once we were alive in Christ, all of a sudden patience becomes something that we actually pay more attention to. And what does it do? Well, it equips us to cope with life as it is. Followers of Jesus are realists. Remember, we live in the real world. We, we know what the real world is. It's described by the kingdom of God. And then living in this world, we see what's real about living in this world. Therefore, we, we accommodate ourselves not to be compromised by the world, but we accommodate ourselves to live in the world and, as, and to, accept it as, to accept it as it is. This is one of the most beautiful things we offer each other. We accept one another as we are, as imperfect as we are. And that's a spiritual character quality equipping us to cope with life as it is. How is that coping going for you? If it's not going well for you, if you're feeling right now like David, Lord, how long? Where are you? Why is this never ending? All you need to do is, is make it sound easy. It's simple to do. But it's hard to actually endure. Turn to him. Just turn back to him and say, Lord, I somehow misaligned. I'm off track. I haven't been paying attention and I'm paying the price for it. I know you're there. I just can't see you. I know you're with me, I just don't feel you. I know you'll resolve this, I just am having a hard time hanging in there. It hurts, and I, hurt, and I don't like seeing other people hurt. 
So patience allows us to see beyond an immediate situation to a better outcome by applying our faith in the present, out, in the present situation. Ultimately, God will make all things right. We work back from that reality and apply it in reality. Therefore, I'm going to do this because I know this is coming. And this is the thing. Even though we can't create heaven on earth, heaven comes to earth, everything we do counts toward what God is doing in the new heaven and the new earth. So it's not a waste to say, therefore, I'm going to be patient and kind and compassionate right now. Well, why bother? It's all going to burn. The new earth will, no, 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 don't see it that way. Trash your earth. The new one's on its way. Don't worry. Trash the one we have. No, no, no. That's not how it works. It all matters. It all counts right now. So patience allows us to see beyond an immediate situation to a better outcome. We can't guarantee the better outcome, but we can work toward it. And just in working toward it, it transforms us. You become better working for a better outcome, even if the outcome is not what happens. Because if you don't work for that better outcome, what will you do? You'll become part of the problem. It assures that that outcome won't happen. This is why every brilliant and brave military story you've ever heard is so moving. People doing things against all odds. This is why every medical uh, story that you've heard that turns out well is so powerful. Every, every scientific research story. Every story about anybody doing anything that looked like it was impossible. Hey, I know. How about going to the Olympics? And once you're there, not getting COVID. And once you haven't got COVID, actually doing something. And how about your mask falling off your face? And you're thinking, this is not good. Not only is it not good, I don't look good like this. I'm going to see this forever. So patience is a continuous, strategic, and tactical. An overarching strategy, I get where it's going. And a tactical, that is, I'm going to make these decisions because of that in real time. That approach to complex challenges. Because most of the challenges we face in life that are big challenges aren't resolved easily. They take time. They take bits and pieces. If you've, ever, if you've ever been to physical therapy, hey, do we have any physical therapists here? Yes, indeed. We have a genius physical therapist here, and she can tell you that people come in and go, I will never move my arm again. My shoulder is frozen forever. And she would say, yeah, as long as you do keep that attitude, it will be. But if you work with me, it'll seem like forever, but in a several months, you're going to have a full range of motion back. Seriously? Yeah. Well, how does that work? Well, it's very complex, but we're going to take a lot of simple steps. All of a sudden, something beautiful happens out of that process. That's why patience is a continuous strategic and tactical approach to complex challenges. Patience is a choice. Uh, I wasn't born patient. Nobody is born patient. Patience is something that we develop through nurture, observation, experience, discipline. Yeah, some people seem to get it more easily than others. It has to do with the Y or an X chromosome sometimes. It seems like women are infinitely more patient than men. I don't want to be uh, you know, just categorical about that, but it seems like more, more women I know. In fact, I don't know one man who teaches preschool. There's my argument right there. <laughs> Never met a man. If you offer a man a, a job in a preschool versus a coal mine, he'll go, that's pretty funny. I'll take the coal mine. Actually, no, he'll say, he'll say I'll take the preschool the first time. Go, preschool? Yeah, sure. Second day. Hey, is that coal mine gig still available? Ah, uh, I couldn't. I, I knew I was in trouble after about five minutes, and then the rest of the day was very long. It's a choice to be patient. We decide to feel and respond. We choose to grumble or grow. Sometimes we grumble as we grow. James said, hey, folks, don't grumble. Be patient. God's at work. You're a part of that work. But here's the thing. We decide to feel and respond. Let me, let me clarify that for you. We decide what we feel, what it means, and then how to respond. You might think, no way. Yes way. Here's how it works. Emotions are the raw material of feelings. Emotions are what they are. They're inchoate. That is, they're ill-defined. They're just feelings. Anger, lust, rage, envy, jealousy. They're just feelings, not just as in small. They're just what they are. The question is, what will you decide to do with it? What do you interpret it to be? Oh, you're angry. Yeah, that says it all. No, it really doesn't. It just says, you, I know what the emotion is. What does that emotion feel like to you? That feels really bad. Why? Because they did something really hurtful and wrong to me. Okay. Next time, hey, you're feeling angry. Did somebody do something hurtful or wrong to you? No, no. Why are you angry this time? Well, I thought about it. I'm angry because I didn't get my way. And I tried every Weasley thing I could do to get my way, and I didn't get my way, so I'm having a major 
pouting fit, and I'm really angry. I didn't get my way. You see what this is about? The emotion of anger has, has to go somewhere, like water. Water goes somewhere. And we get to name it. I'm feeling this. What is it? Why am I feeling this? What do I do with this? I'm stuck in traffic. Well, that's easy. Just drive over all the tops of the other cars. No. You know, some situations you go, you know what? It is what it is. I'm going to be here. I better listen to music or talk on my phone or eat breakfast. I don't know. Whatever you do in the car when you're driving it. It's a choice. We decide to feel and respond. Emotions are a reaction. Feelings and the choices we make based on those feelings is a response. We're all initially reactors. We react to things. Maturity means we start to respond to things. I'm feeling anger. What am I going to do with it? I used to do this. Now I do this. And so patience is how we endure under the unavoidable pressures of life. Unavoidable. You can't get out of the pressures of life. Money can't buy you out of it. Prestige, power, position. Nothing. An unlisted number, living in a guard-gated community. Having a massive staff. None of it ever takes away the unavoidable pressures of life. So where are you feeling pressure and pain points right now? Uh, What are your options in the midst of those pain uh, and pressure points? What what are your tools for dealing with it? Do you have the tools? If you find out that I don't really have the options or the tools, that's a great uh, significant pointer to, hey, get some good counsel. So patience is an indicator of EQ and SQ. I was thinking about EQ as emotional intelligence. I thought, we ought to just call it what it is. It's spiritual intelligence, ultimately. Spiritual, we think of as a separate category. It's about being religious. Spiritual is about being a whole person. It includes our emotions. So really, just like the real world that we think is the real world is not the real world, EQ is not enough. We talk about EQ, emotional intelligence. We really authentically, honestly, ought to talk about spiritual intelligence. But I'm going to say EQ slash SQ. Patience is an indicator of EQ and SQ. Jesus consistently applied love and truth. He had emotional intelligence. He knew when to be angry and how to handle it. He knew how to turn a cheek. He also knew how to turn over a table. But he applied love and truth consistently. So patience doesn't accept low standards or poor performance or bad behavior. I've met Christians who say, well, you know, I know it's horrible, but as a Christian, what do you mean as a Christian? What are you supposed to do as a Christian? I'm supposed to be loving Ah, oh, let me get this. The kid wrecked the BMW gave him at 16. That was a, I won't say it was a really smart choice, but let's just avoid that for a second. He wrecked it, and you bought him a new BMW. Yeah, because, you know, it's a loving thing. I, I don't want to feel discouraged. Well, how about having him feel some consequences? Because you love him. Well, because I love him, I gave him the car. No, I don't know. Maybe it felt, you felt like you couldn't be authentic. and didn't want to risk your sense of tolerance and omniscience, and, and whatever you consider love, sentimental love, to actually say, you know, son, that was a big mistake for me to give you a BMW. I did it for me, because I didn't have one at 16. I'm living through you. Bad idea. You wrecked it. You were being irresponsible. I got a great solution. I'm going to replace the BMW tomorrow. Dad, thank you. Yeah. The bike is in the garage, and, uh, you know, it'll work. So patience doesn't accept low standards or poor performance or bad behavior. Patience is how we navigate it and prevail in the face of it toward a better story. Patience is rooted in wisdom and love, right? It's being smarter about how we live life. I'm so impatient right now. Why? Because I disobeyed God and I'm angry and frustrated. Or I'm patient. I'm impatient right now. Why? Because, well, I'm expecting perfection from this three-year-old. So it recognizes the now but not yet presence of God's kingdom. God is at work. It's not done yet, but I'm part of the process. So what am I supposed to be doing right now? So patience, as I said, is a spiritual character quality, equipping us to cope with life as it is. Secondly, patience creates room to deal constructively with life challenges together. Patience allows me to bring other people into into the conversation. Why am I so frustrated with you? Or why are you so frustrated with me? Or why am I so frustrated with this situation? Why am I having a hard time coping with my life right now? Why am I feeling resentful about these things, these people? See, if we don't create that room for other people to speak into our life and for us to speak into theirs, 
uh, we put ourselves in a prison. It's, it, we put ourselves, we constrict ourselves. We grumble and we don't grow. So impatience is destructively forcing your way through life with no regard for others. It's the, uh, my way or the highway. And often we use our, the color of our authority to do that. That's why we don't like when people under the color or cover of authority misuse it. Policemen, military people, judges, parents, spouses, bosses. If we fail to learn patience, we lose our right to open and close doors in life. Because life is a bunch of choices, right? But if we, if we violate that trust with people long enough and bad enough, if we don't learn patience, we lose our right to open and close doors in life. Let me, let me make that more specific for you. Prison is one of those sad places where all doors are open and closed for you. Think about it. Besides a swanky hotel, prison is the only place you'll ever go where the door is open for you and the door is closed for you. The valet graciously will not let you open the door at that swanky hotel. The warden or the guard will not let you touch the door going in or out in prison. That's a harsh, extreme example, but we can make prisons in our own lives. We make prisons in our own homes. We make prisons in our workplaces if we're not careful. And eventually it does catch up with us and we lose all access to the freedom that gives us a chance to influence anybody. A San Quentin prison, has anybody ever seen it? Pictures of it or been to it? I won't ask if you stayed very long there. Um, I remember one time, uh, sad to say, one of my dad's friends, uh, he was so impressive and I was young enough that he could do these card tricks forever. Amazing card tricks. Tell you whole stories with a deck of cards. Amazing. Finally I said, hey, where did you learn how to do that? And he said, San Quentin. I'm like, okay, what's San Quentin? Uh, is that, can I go there to learn how to do the tricks? No, you don't want to go there. It's not a good place. You can learn a lot of tricks there, but you don't want to go there. San Quentin is on San Francisco Bay. It's on some of the most expensive waterfront property in the Bay Area. And the prisoners there never see the water. A friend was up in San Quentin a couple weeks ago, and he said a prisoner was taken up, a 23-year on way to a life sentence prisoner went up to have a meeting with the warden for the first time in 23 years and happened to go by a window and saw the water of the bay and immediately broke down in tears big, hulking, scary dude, reduced to tears because all he sees every day are walls. All those things that look like windows on San Quentin are not windows. They're walls, and you get, don't get to see the water. This is the tragedy of impatience, ultimately. Everything might look really good in your well-put-together world, but at some point you realize, I'm in a prison of my own making. And this is because life is hard. And God calls us to patiently make this world better for others, to make room for them so they can make room for us so we can do things together. And for us specifically as followers of Jesus, we're agents in God's restoration of the world. Patience is our staying power. Keeping the eye on who Jesus is and where he's taking us and applying it to the present, saying, okay, this is my staying power. Every month, 1,700 pastors quit. Not out of illness, uh, they're retiring. They're just fed up. And I could apply that number to almost to every field. In, in America, every year, half the marriages quit. In America, tens of thousands of kids quit and leave home way too early. In America, and you go on through the whole list. And all of us feel the crunch of time and have limited margin to care and share. We all feel pressed upon it. I don't know. This idea about going to make disciples of all nations, I just don't have time for it. If I had the money and the time, I'd be glad to do it. We misread that because we've been actually mistaught it because the grammar of that says, as you're going, it doesn't say stop everything you're doing and, and go, like you have the luxury to jump on a plane to fly around the world and make disciples. It says, as you're going through your life, wherever that is, make disciples, wherever you are, from here to there, wherever. All of a sudden you realize, oh my gosh, the crunch I feel for time and, and, and the, the de demand to care and share are simply woven and integrated into the actual life I live. Jesus meets me where I am and makes me an agent of his restoration of the world. And yes, we all have our own private personal hopes and dreams and values and priorities and goals and needs and wants. We have things we need to get done and we're protective of our precious time. The worst thing you can do to me is to waste my time. Now, wasting my time doesn't say, can we talk? That's, that's for me, productive time. Yeah, what do you want to talk about? 
But I've been in situations where I'm sitting in an office and somebody comes back and goes, hey, I had nothing to do and I had some time to kill. I thought I'd just drop in. I'm like, oh, dear Lord, just slip my wrist. Let me bleed to death out over the desk. Because if you said, hey, can you talk? I, have a, I, have, I want to talk about something. I have an idea. Sure, of course. But the idea of wasting time, you, you're like that too. You don't like your time wasted. We don't like waiting for anyone or anything. And this fallen world will make us resentful if our heart's not connected to God. Because instead of feeling like we're wasting time, what it does is it puts us in place to say, nothing is wasted time. So in the sense that person says, hey, I, I had nothing to do. I'm waiting for this. I thought I'd drop in. That's often a, a comfortable pretext to say, I just want to have some time. So in that sense, I flip it. I, I don't hear it. I try not to hear it as, um, I want to kill some time. I just think of it as, hey, we have some time to touch base. How you doing? How's it going? So I've been talking about patience in terms of behavioral terms, uh, emotional terms. Just let me give you the definition now. What is patience according to the Bible? Uh, it's interesting because it's the same for the rich and the poor. The terms of patience are the same for rich and poor, young and old. <clears throat> the, old the Old Testament term for patience is arech apayim. It's a great phrase, arech apayim. Because it has nothing to do with patience, really. It's a, it's a word picture. It means a long nose. Okay, then. All right. Thanks for solving that. that that's, a, that's very helpful. Um, but it's a word picture. Uh, it says, rather than have a reflexive reaction, have a reflective response. And it works like this. When you, uh, you know, there's words that are... Um, words that sound like something. If you're, in, if you're talking to a modern Hebrew person and they have a Coke bottle, and you say, what's that called? They, oh, it's a book book. That's a book book. Okay, why? Book, 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 book. It's onomatopoeic. I mean, it sounds like something. This phrase has a picture of something. Arech apayim. has a picture of somebody getting frustrated. They go, and their nostrils flare, and they pull back, and you see a physical reaction. And so arech apayim means put that off as long as you can. Recover as quickly as you can from that. You slow to anger. So arech apayim means slow to anger. And then the Greeks tried to translate it, and they said makrothumia is one word, and hopomenes is another word, and they both basically mean the same thing, slightly different. So in those passages I read where it said patience and endurance and perseverance, it was using those words interchangeably. So you see it's a word picture. It's a, it's a word picture of our physical anger reaction giving way to a better response. So anger is an indicator that you don't like how you're being treated. But it can't right wrongs or solve problems. You can't do anything constructively with anger. You can stop bad things from happening momentarily. You can register that you don't like what, what you're, how you're being treated. But it doesn't go beyond that. It's an alarm system. You can't fix something with an alarm. The smoke detector goes off. It's not stopping a fire. It's just telling you there's danger here. you got to do something. The car alarm goes off. You get the idea. Living in anger, we all know, is toxic. It's self-defeating. It's self-destructive. It's socially disruptive. Angry people don't help. Registering anger in a healthy way, very helpful. And that really made me angry. Every young couple has to deal with this. You know, this is a little pinch. It wasn't a big deal, but... This, this, I'm just concerned, you know, when you said that, that we were with a group of friends and you made that joke and everybody's laughing at my expense. I know you didn't mean it, but it just felt awkward. What will happen if they don't register that small pinch of anger? Down the road, they'll have massive resentment that you're always making fun of me in front of people. I never make fun of you, you know. Why have you never said anything? Well, because I thought it was loving, but I didn't realize how it was eroding me and eroding my love for you. So living in anger can't reconcile relationships Living in love gets you to everything that's good. So patience is an act of love, not an act of denial. Oh, just be patient. See, the idea is to pause. Okay, now what, right? Not a reaction, but a response. Not just raw emotion, but what feelings am I experiencing? What do I do with them? So patience is a picture of anger under control for a greater outcome. The kid is three. Why am I getting so angry? Because I'm a three-year-old emotionally. The kid no longer is the problem. I am the problem. The kid is actually being a consistent three-year-old. I am not 
supposed to be a consistent three-year-old. So patient people could unleash on us, but they don't. Why they've chosen not to write us off, to put us down, to make it hurt. And the parents that do, they leave an ugly trail behind them. Not for the psychological therapists who make money. There's a whole growth industry in America. Uh, the whole you know, professional counseling industry is on a growth uh, surge. Why? Because somebody along the way was impatient and they passed that on. Now it's embedded and people don't know how to deal with their life. Why is patience a virtue? Why? Because it makes room for more constructive response to anger. There's lots more to talk about, but the third point, let me wrap it up with this. Patience is your offering to God as you engage in the mission he's given you. What? Yeah. Patience is your offering to God in the mission that he's given you. How does that work? You know, at the every, end of every service we say, this is a time of offering. Mostly we think, oh, that's more I, I'm supposed to give money. Actually, it, it makes room for, oh, yeah, I want to make an offering financially. But really what the offering time is about is giving me, offering myself. Part of that comes with confession sometimes. Lord, I, I need to confess this and offer this. Not as, a, not as a transaction, but as recognition. That, Lord, you're what I need. You give me what I need. You're giving what I need. I, I need to be able to say, I trust in you. Right? So patience is an offering to God that we, that we give as we engage in his mission. And let me give you a brief example that might be kind of odd, but it gets to the point. If your mission is patiently trusting God, believing that he's with you in every circumstance, then in, in, when you're feeling the, that impatience and you recognize it, that's the time to say, Lord, I'm offering it to you. I started with a question that David was asking. Lord, where are you? What's going on? I want to finish with a story about David. Obviously, the greatest leader in Israel's history. Moses delivered the message. Fantastic. But it's Jesus, the Messiah, comes from the house of David. David is, is that paragon, a man after God's own heart. So we see this in David's life. It's recorded in 2 Samuel 23. It says, during harvest time, midst of a massive, massive battle, he, they're being attacked by the Philistines. It's not going well. It's been long. It's hot. It's dusty. It's dirty. It's perpetual. Everybody's getting worn out. People are away from their families. It's a mess. So during, during harvest time, when everybody should be celebrating, they're not. They're at war. Three of the 30 chief warriors came down to David at the cave of Adullam, while a band of Philistines was encamped in the valley of Rephaim. This is prime real estate in Israel, and it's messing up everything in terms of the normal rhythms of life, and they're just all fed up. And he has these 30 people who are amazing, uh, called mighty men. And three of them come down to say, hey, what do you need? Uh, what can we do? And at that time, David was in the stronghold, and the Philistine garrison was at Bethlehem, David's hometown, little town of Bethlehem, home of David. And David, in that moment of impatience and fatigue and frustration, is thinking, oh man, Bethlehem, of all places, the place that feels like home to me, the things that have has nothing but great memories attached to it. So it says, David longed for water, and kind of said rhetorically, in a whiny, I'm sure, kind of, oh, we wish somebody would do something. Oh, that someone would get me a drink of water from the well near the gate of Bethlehem. If pigs could just fly, kind of a thing, you know. You imagine if a Jewish guy said, if pigs could just fly, it wouldn't go over very well. So he's saying, I want some water from the well at Bethlehem. Oh, yeah, right. Sure, why not? But it says, the three mighty warriors broke through the Philistine lines, drew water from the well near the gate of Bethlehem, and carried it back to David. And when they did, it was such a confrontation. They meant to comfort him, but it became a confrontation from God to him. Okay, Mr. Great Leader, we've risked our lives, the lives of the men, the entire operation to get you the water. Here it is. Now, these guys didn't have that attitude. They said, hey, here's the water, whatever it takes. But then David realized what he'd done. But he refused to drink it. He was, he was ashamed of himself. Instead, he poured it out before the Lord. One of the things that, that, that is, is true for Israel is there's a drink offering, along with sacrifices, drink offerings. You, you offer the best wine. Lord, this is for you. There's a sin offering. Lord, 
you know, here's, here's uh, something of value that represents um, my offense to you. He refused to drink it. Instead, he poured it out before the Lord. And he says, far be it from me, Lord, to do this. Is it not the blood of men who went at the risk of their lives? I did this, Lord, out of my impatience. And David would not drink it. And it says, such were the exploits of the three mighty warriors. Uh, so they put a positive spin on it. But in the midst of this, you realize, in the middle of his mission, David is so impatient, he offends God and risks everybody's well-being around him. This is what impatience does. It's not just contained in us. It has a ripple effect that touches everybody and everything. Your impatience is never really private. Deeply personal, yes, but it becomes public immediately. Three men risked their lives and the entire mission to get it for him. David's impatience led to reckless bravado. Thankfully, David redirected his impatience in theirs by offering it to God in worship. How do you recover from impatience? Worship. That is confession. Praise to God. Thank God. The fact he's with you, he's for you. Call it what it is. Mark it. Pour it out. Lord, I give you this situation. I give you me. And so in a sense, even in our brokenness, we get to make an offering to God. It's never too late to repent. Our patience in this life will be tested. We can get a positive result on the patience test as we lean into God. David wisely turned his natural impulsive impatience into an act of holy worship. He embraced his God-given mission, so can we. Don't let your impatience rob you of your mission. Your impatience will cause you to feel shame and guilt and unworthiness. You'll feel like a poser, and therefore it'll be another way for Satan to say, you don't have a mission. Who are you to have a mission? What can you offer? It's you. Don't let impatience steal your mission and rob you of the larger view of your life. Remember, Jesus poured out his blood as an atoning sacrifice for us. Knowing exactly who we are and how we are. He did that. And having risen from the grave, Jesus lifts us up to see his view. We no longer see walls in our self-made prisons. We see a larger view of that water of renewal. Philippians says it this way. Paul says, Having, uh, therefore God exalted Jesus to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. That's the real world. He writes to the Colossians, since then you've been raised with Christ, set your hearts on things above where Christ is. The view is way better because he's seated at the right hand of God. That's your view now, too. And that's how we'll endure. That's how we'll persevere. That's how we'll prevail. Again, Paul said it this way in his letter to the Corinthians, 2 Corinthians. Therefore, we do not lose heart. Though outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day. For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweigh them all. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen. I know there's walls in front of me, but there's water on the other side. I will trust in the Lord. So, Lord Jesus, that's our prayer. As we come to you in Holy Communion, we're reminded that you have given us hope. That your patience with us. And you've given us help by equipping us to be patient in this world as agents of your restoration of it. The real world. And so, Lord, I pray for me, for my brothers and sisters here, that as we offer ourselves to you in Holy Communion, as we open our hearts and our minds and our hands to you, uh, we would be filled with a new level of patience, a commitment to where we're going in you and what it means right now in the present circumstances that we're in. We pray this in Jesus' holy name. Amen. So on that night that he was betrayed, Jesus took bread, and you have in your kit of communion packet there. Uh, the bread's in the, in the little top part of the seal, and then the juice is in the container. And Jesus broke bread, saying, this is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same manner, he took the cup. He said, this cup is the covenant in my blood. Do this in remembrance of me whenever you do this. And so we come into his presence Maybe with some shame. And he says, you don't need the shame. It doesn't look good on you. Let it go. With fear. 
fear doesn't look good on you either. With impatience, with a sense of frustration, maybe a sense of failure. He says, none of that. And he clothes us in his righteousness because you are his beloved son, you're his beloved daughter by faith. So come into his presence joyfully, experiencing the freedom that you have to be you in him, that you might do God's will one day at a time as you say, I will trust in him. Receive Holy Communion and let's continue worshiping the Lord. That's the one we trust in. It's him. That's what he does in us. So now may the Lord bless you and keep you as you walk with him. May the Lord shine his face on you that you might reflect his glory wherever you go, both now and forevermore. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, amen.